Good morning, Oak Ridge family. Wow, this has been a busy month for for me. Uh, We have uh, been entertaining five of our grandchildren over the past month at our house. And uh, every year it's a delight to to, to see them come and to renew a close fellowship with our grandchildren because they live far away in, in Arizona. And uh, it was especially delightful to get to know my youngest uh, uh, granddaughter, an adopted child, Jackie, five years old. And uh, she's quite the chatterbox and quite the amazing little personality. Uh, the first night that we had them, we had them around the dinner table, and uh, so I, I wanted to start a little mini tradition of having a Bible reading between uh, the, the dinner and the, and the dessert, and uh, tried to make it applicable for uh, the older one who was, who was uh, 16 and ranging right down to Jackie at five, so that was kind of a difficult stretch. And uh, Jackie was uh, jumping around and talking and uh, as we started the Bible reading, and so I said, Jackie, you have to be quiet and you have to behave because we're going to listen to God's word. In just a few minutes, we're going to have a question period, and then we're going to pray, and, and then it will be over. So she sat there, uh, trying very hard to mind herself. And finally, the, the, uh, the Bible reading came to an end, and I said, now it's time for questions. Jackie's hand shot up, and I thought, my goodness, she's, she's really into it. And so I said, yes, Jackie, what's your question? She said, Papa... When is this going to be over? <laughs> now, if you really must, and you're feeling the way Jackie felt when I'm preaching, you can put up your hand. You don't have to say anything more because I'll already figure it out. You're saying, when is this going to be over? They left on uh, Tuesday. We took them to Buffalo Airport and I always get a little bit of excitement when I get into an airport because uh, there's a flurry of activity. People are coming and going and you look around and uh, you wonder, uh, where is everybody going? We now know where Chris and Sarah are going. They're going to the airport and they're going out to BC. Another flurry of activity uh, on Thursday evening because I took my wife and my daughter Lisa to Pearson Airport and put them on the plane to go to Norway, where, where Kathy and daughter are going to have some bonding experience looking up relatives in, in Norway for the next few days. People busy coming, busy going. Where are they all heading? You know, Christians are heading in a direction. We're heading home. We're heading home to be with the Lord. And if you're a Christian, you already have your flight booked. And uh, we don't know when the plane is going to take off, but it could be very soon. And we're going to be with the Lord. And we're going to be at his place in heaven. That'll be a wonderful day when we take off and uh, we spend eternity with the Lord in glory. So today I want to talk about heading home. And uh, it's a follow-up of a few weeks ago when I started uh, Psalm 84 with you. And we've been doing a summer Psalms series. 
And I've decided just to camp in Psalm 84 because I find it one of the sweetest of the Psalms to me, perhaps my very favorite. And uh, we're going to do the next little segment in Psalm 84, just to read the verses that I intend to talk on today. So let's turn to Psalm chapter 84 together. We'll start reading at verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Before we get to those verses and just to seek to explain those verses, I want to review with you what we said about the first four verses of Psalm 84. Psalm 84 was written by one of the sons of Korah, and he was a Levite. And the Levites were people who were uh, designated by God, the one tribe designated by God to serve God directly in the temple. The family of Aaron was of the Levite tribe, and they were the priests that served God directly in, in the temple. But all of the other, all the rest of the tribe were helpers. All of the Levites were helpers in the temple, helping the priest in various ways. They would uh, keep the doors of the temple and guard the place. They would be responsible for helping the priests prepare the sacrifice. They would be baking the bread. Uh, they would be uh, preparing the oil for the lamps and, and uh, all the various activities that the Levites would do kept them well occupied in the temple. And uh, they would be living uh, most of the time in the villages scattered throughout Israel and uh, doing their daily work there. But about five times a year, they would go up to Jerusalem, a family group of them would go up to Jerusalem to, to serve in the temple. One of the Levites wrote this song. And I believe the first four verses really are all about this. I'm crazy. I'm crazy about God. Uh, he was a man who loved the Lord and he loved his work. It's a wonderful thing when you go to work. If you love your work, you don't work. You just enjoy it. And uh, that's been my experience in my work of counseling. I just... I just love my work, and it makes me tired, but I don't look on it as odious or, or heavy because it's such a wonderful experience to me. That's what the Levite was all about. And he, he, he had the particular joy of serving God directly. That was his job. And he had the particular joy of serving in the temple, in the, in the place where the very presence of God dwelt. And he loved it. In fact, he was crazy about God. And he was saying things like this. We read them in these comments in the first four verses. He was saying things like this. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Now, the question we posed a few weeks ago is this. If somebody had heard him saying these things and did not understand the religious ecstasy that he was feeling or agree with it, that person might say, this particular guy is obsessed. He's got a medical problem. But you see, obsession isn't as unusual as we make it out to be. When a diagnosis is made about people who have obsessions or addictions, it's usually the case that the obsession has so taken hold of them that it's obstructing and and deteriorating their life. But most of us live with degrees of obsession. That activity, that pleasure, that person, that place. I looked up a few obsessions on the internet, and one of them is ladies' shoes. There's a big new shoe store in the mall that I work in, and I wondered, how are they going to sell all those shoes in that store? No problem. In and out all day long. And most of the people who are buying are ladies. The average lady has 20 pairs of shoes. I don't know if you're average, above or below, but that's the average for Canada and and the States. But then you see the men are not without their obsessions because men often watch sports on TV to excess. The average man watches between seven and eight hours of sports every week, just sitting and watching sports. And some of us watch much more than that. The number of hours that teenagers spend in front of a computer screen per day, can you guess? Eight hours a day, average. And when I was growing up, we didn't even have a screen like that. (laughs) We got a TV screen when I was about eight years old. But uh, I was born in in a day when we didn't have screens, and now... One fully one-third of a teenager's day is occupied looking at a screen. The number of hours that are spent in, in chats and, and the number of hours that are spent on games, and it's just astronomical. And you see, it becomes obsession. What is an obsession? It's thinking about and desiring something so much that you make it to be more than it really is, and the thinking gets out of control. Because when you think of something more than it is, you are believing a lie about something. That it is more important than it really is. And there's lots of people who are believing lies in this world and thinking that this is most important, and that's most important, and this is most wonderful, and that's most wonderful. Now, here's the truth. You can desire God with all your heart and with all your soul, but you cannot obsess about God. You say, why? Isn't this Levite obsessed? No, not quite. Not quite. Because you cannot think more highly about God than he really is. He's bigger. He's better. He's more glorious. He's more wonderful. He's the all in all. And you can't think more about God than he really is. So by definition, you can't think obsessively about God. He's that big. He fills the universe. 
So there's no such thing as thinking more highly of him or thinking too much about God. And there's no such thing as as uh, desiring God too much. There's no such thing as enjoying God too much. And that's what this Levite found out. You see, if you're crazy about God, you're not crazy. You're doing what's supposed to be right with your mind. Your mind is set on the thing that it ought to be set on when you're crazy about God. You're, You're making him to be the most important thing, and that's what he is. So your mind is on the right person, and in the right place, your mind is on heaven where God lives. The Bible says you set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. So there our Levite stands, perhaps tending sheep in the village, and it comes to the day when he takes his next journey to Jerusalem. He gathers with his brothers, he gathers with the the different uh, friends in the village because they would go up as a family group to serve as Levites in the temple when each different family was called. Uh, People from this particular locality would go and they would march up together. And how they would enjoy those times. There would be singing. In fact, the, 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 the book of Psalms that we're studying now has a number of Psalms of ascents, and that, that means the ascent up to Jerusalem. And so as people were going on pilgrimage up to Jerusalem, they sang various of the Psalms together. There was singing. There was, there was glad conversation about what they would do in Jerusalem and in the temple. There was prayers of thanksgiving as they walked. You see, they were on pilgrimage. They had set their heart on pilgrimage. That's what it says in verse 5. They set their hearts on pilgrimage. What is a pilgrimage? Well, there was a book that was uh, written many, many years ago, several hundred years ago now. John Milton wrote a book, Pilgrim's Progress, and many Christians of the previous generation read that book. And it was a story of how a Christian set out on the journey to heaven and the various things that happened to him. He was on a pilgrimage, and he was progressing along the path of pilgrimage. So a pilgrimage is a spiritual journey. A spiritual journey. That is how God sees our lives. That's the reason why he gave us life, so that we might be on a path, a spiritual journey to God. And then it says, they have set their heart, they have set their heart on pilgrimage. Now, what it means to set your heart is this. You, the heart is the decider. You have within you the ability to choose your path, to choose your direction, to choose your goal. And when you set your heart, you are setting your course for life. You're setting your mind on something because you've decided that this is the most important thing in your life. You have made it your most cherished goal. So my question to you is, what are you setting your heart on? What is your most cherished goal in life? 
Is it fame? Some people desire to be well-known, at least well-known in the group that they are in. And especially young people, they, when they first start in high school, they have to set the, the goal of making friends and being in the most popular group because it means almost everything to them. To be accepted, to be acknowledged in their group. And then there's fortune. Some people decide that early on that they're going to make money because money is the key to life. And so they, they set their goal as fortune and perhaps fun. When asked what the goal of life is, many people answer, I just want to have pleasure. I just want to enjoy my life. That's a very, very common answer, and people have set that as their goal. And so they determine day by day the kind of pleasure that they're going to have. And then there's people who are stuck on family. And I've enjoyed family over this last month, perhaps a little bit too much family. And I'm enjoying the silence of the last few days at home. But family is wonderful. And uh, uh, many people make it their goal. Family is everything. And then there's people who are into friends. And uh, uh, friends are wonderful uh, things as well. Friendships, to be able to enjoy uh, buddies and, and doing things together and, and uh, groups and uh, uh, the fellowship that we have one, one to the other. And then fulfillment. A lot of people are are bound to accomplish something in their life. I want my life to mean something. I will be fulfilled when I can accomplish this in my life. There was a group of young uh, uh, students who were asked, uh, what are your goals in life? And this 13-year-old boy said this. This was the answer to the goal question. What are your goals in life? He says, I have three goals. The first one is to have a girlfriend. The second one is to kiss her. And the third one is to rule the world in, in, that, in that order. That's his goals in life, 13 years old. He set it out for himself. None of these goals are wrong in and of themselves. But God makes it clear that what he desires for us is to set our goal our future, to be with him in heaven. And that's why life is meant to be a pilgrimage, because this life is meant to be a journey towards heaven, towards God's house, just as the Levite was on the path towards Jerusalem, so we're on the path to glory. And that's where God desires us to be. In John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples, I want them to be with me where I am. That's what Jesus prayed. I want them to be with me where I am. It's, it says in Hebrews chapter 2 that the purpose of Jesus coming to earth was to bring many sons to glory. And sons meaning mature Christians, not just boys, but men and women, many, many people mature and their final destination is glory. You see, that's what God wants for us. He wants he brings us to this world because he wants to populate heaven with people who love his son and who delight in sharing life with him so that, so that God can walk with us forever on the streets of heaven. 
That's the goal of life as far as God is concerned. This life here is just a little blip on the radar screen. When it comes to to the, the, the amount of life we enjoy here, it's measured in years and perhaps we get 70 years and perhaps 80 years or more. That's a drop in the bucket compared with eternity. And heaven is going to last forever. And so this is just the anteroom for true life. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that when we get to heaven, this life will be swallowed up by life. Mortal, this mortal life will be swallowed up by life. We think this is life, but God says, no, no, this is not life yet. This is just the, the cocoon. This is just the nursery room. And we're heading for life. And, and this little life that we have here, this little cocoon of life, will be swallowed up by life. That's what heaven is. And when we get to heaven, we won't look back and say, oh, that's when we lived. We won't, we won't say that. We'll say, this is life. And that was just the beginning. Now, how to set your heart on pilgrimage is the, is the question. In response to what we're reading, you see, we decide, well, I have to set my heart on pilgrimage. And if your heart is not on pilgrimage, then repent of all other priorities that you put before heaven. Now, now Christians struggle with priorities. And I know that there are many Christians in this room and that we all want to go to heaven. But is it your priority? Is it your priority? Is that your goal? Is Have you set your heart on it? I want to go to heaven. And if that's your desire, you see, that fits in line with God's purpose for your life. So you commit to the goal of heaven. Lord, I want to be in heaven with you. Now, that's, that doesn't mean we all swallow Kool-Aid and have a mass suicide here so we can all go to heaven quickly. Right? Uh, God intends for us to live this life until he calls us home. But what does it look like to set your heart on heaven? How do you reorder all the other goals of your life so that they're secondary goals to heaven? Well, you know what happens when you set a goal in your life. Uh, my, my granddaughter Eve, she's 16 years old and she's in grade 10 and, and she wants to go to university. She wants to get a, a college education. And she knows that, that her dad is going to be hard pressed to give a good education to all of his children because he's got six of them. So she's got to do a lot of the work herself. And she doesn't have the highest marks in the class, although she's a pretty good student. But you know what she's got? She's got athletic talent. Last year, she actually outran all the boys in her school. And uh, she can swim and she can run. So she says, I am going to get an athletic scholarship that is the means to get to university. Now what this girl does, she doesn't just dream about that. She puts it into practice, you see. She gets up in the morning and she does her exercises. She watches what she eats. Everybody else is eating, you know, a beautiful sausage dinner and, and she's eating salad. 
Okay, Eve, if that's your choice. But you see, she's got her goal set. And uh, a few months ago, she, she bought a watch. It's called Fitbit. How many are wearing Fitbits here? Oh, there's one. Okay. See, most of us don't, don't uh, go with a watch. Uh, this is a fitness watch. It tells you how many steps that you're taking on, on, on uh, your daily uh, walks. And Eve watches that. And the other night, she was getting on her, her uh, running shoes, and I said, Eve, where are you going? It's about ready to turn in. She said, I've got to run around the property a few more times because I haven't got all of the steps that I need to take today. You see what she's doing? She's ordering her life to accord with her goal. Now, if you think, you see, that you, you, you really are setting your goal as heaven, this is the measure of it. Is everything you're doing in your life in accordance with the goal? Do we really believe in heaven? Do we, do we practice a heavenly life? Set your heart on the things above where Christ dwells, not on the things of the earth. That's what God wants us to do. So that, you know, we have kind of a spiritual Fitbit watch. Everything I'm doing now, every step I'm taking, is it in accordance with that supreme goal of pleasing my Lord and, and, and achieving this heavenly life that God has set out for me? So we, re- we, we order all of our goals. Now the promise for this, you see, is that, that we will find strength in God because we're hoping in Him. You know what hope is? It's faith directed towards the future. That's the difference between faith and hope. Faith is confidence. Faith is trusting. Faith is resting in God. But you see, hope is a corollary. It is, it is a, another aspect of faith. And hope is faith in the future. That's what it is. Faith that looks to the future and says, that's my goal, that's my destiny, that's my purpose in life, and everything in my life will be in line with that. Now the promise is this. When you set your goal on heaven, you get heavenly help. When you set your goal on heaven, you will get heavenly help. What a wonderful verse we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verse verse 31. It says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It takes strength to go on a journey. It takes strength for a pilgrimage. I don't know about you, but even riding on a plane makes me tired, let alone having to do the journey by foot. Can you imagine Chris and Sarah setting out by foot to get to BC? That would be a pretty difficult thing. But even riding on the plane, it's just ah, tired. Traveling is difficult. And we need strength for it. This is what the verse says. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you determine that heaven is your goal, God will give you the strength to achieve it. That's what the power of hope is. 
Now let's go on to verse 6. It says this, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. You know, Pastor Chris talked last week about Psalm 23, and he entitled it The View from the Valley. And it's interesting how, how, how patterned after Psalm 23, Psalm 84 is. It's a similar pattern. Talks in Psalm 23 about, about uh, uh, living life with the Good Shepherd, and I'm the sheep following the shepherd. So it's really who I'm journeying with that is in Psalm 23, and where I'm journeying to in, is in Psalm 84. But they both have valleys. Psalm 23, verse 4, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the particular conflict that David is facing in Psalm 23 is the threat of death. And now there's another threat as this Levite is with his brothers and with his friends on the journey to Jerusalem because they go through some fairly difficult terrain between, let's say, northern Israel and coming down to Jerusalem. There's some pretty dry areas. We had the privilege of being there a few years ago in the, in the Holy Land, and it's it's a pretty dry spot. There's a lot of rocks and scrub, and and it looks like semi-desert. But every once in a while, you find an, an oasis, an area where there has been some water provided, and many of them are ancient springs, ancient wells that were dug by the patriarchs. And in fact, we stopped at what was said to be Jacob's well, in Israel. He dug that well, and it's still being used today. Jacob's well. And Abraham had the same kind of wells, and Isaac dug wells. The Valley of Baca, the, the word, by the way, the, the, the geography uh, maps do not have the Valley of Baca listed in, on the geographical map. It, it's it's not found on any ancient maps, and therefore it's probably a metaphor. And the word Baca means tears or a dry area, a dry desert place. You know, when we're traveling on the, on the road to glory, it's not always going to be easy. There's going to be some tears, there's going to be some sorrows, there's going to be some trials, there's going to be some troubles. I know that Many of you are, have at times had your name on the prayer list because you want us to pray for you because you're going through a trial. And by the way, I think it's good for Christians to make use of such a thing. When people are praying for, for, you, for you, good things happen. But some of us have silent trials, silent tears, silent dry areas in life, and we struggle with them. As a counselor, I hear people's uh, trials and I see people's tears every single day. I go and I talk to people who are going through the Valley of Baca. And it's my joy to try to help them through that tough time in their life. God has a purpose for Baca. God knows what he's doing. It's a pilgrimage to heaven 
But before we get to heaven, we have to learn the lessons of godliness. And so the Lord teaches us along the way. And sometimes the best teacher is not joy, but it's adversity. It's not smiles, but it's tears. And how we learn and how we grow and how we experience God. And this is what the pilgrim is meant to do. When he gets into a dry area, this is what he's meant to do. He is meant to dig a well. They make it a place of spring, so the text says. So how do we respond to the trials and the tears of life? Do we give up and return? Do we lay down and die when there's little water, or do we dig wells? And you see, this is something that the, that the, 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 the man who is, or woman who is journeying is meant to do. They're meant to do something when they have tears. We can look up and say, God, why don't you provide for me? And the Lord says, I want you to dig a well. I want you to do something. Now, I think that in digging a well, from the spiritual aspect of it is this. The spiritual interpretation is this. I go deeper into God. I look for the precious water. I go deeper into my faith. I go deeper into the experience of life with Christ. The trial draws me closer to the Lord. And then I find a closer walk with him. And so the trial actually is constructive in my life. It's spiritually instructive and constructive because it brings me closer and closer to the Lord. I met, I've met so many Christians in life and, and the trials were heavy on their life. But you know what? Those trials shaped them and made them into the mature Christians that they are today. Don't be dismayed if there's trials on the pilgrim path. They go well. Go to God. The Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Get close to the Lord. Work it through with God. Seek his grace and the Lord will bless you and bring you through. When God's people are on pilgrim, pilgrimage and they don't find water, they're meant to dig for it. But then it says, and something quite different in the next verse, it says, the autumn rains also cover it with pools. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. What a wonderful, wonderful experience when you're, when you're in, a, in a, a dry and arid place to have a refreshing rainfall. It's not something that we work for. We dig wells, we have to work to get the water. But when it rains, we just receive it. It's a blessing from heaven. And many times it's an unexpected blessing from heaven. One of the reasons why God brings us into trials is that in the midst of the trial, when we're cast upon God, he just opens up the windows of heaven and gives us the the raindrops of mercy. And, and we appreciate it because we were, we were in pain. And then the Lord gives us this wonderful, unexpected blessing. The, uh, the, red, the, the wet season in uh, Chitoka Loki is, is uh, uh, the beginning of September. But from April through September, it is dry, dry dry and you don't see a drop of rain and when the rains come 
everybody just goes out into the paths and out, outdoors, and most people are doing a little jig out there and just letting themselves get wet because they haven't felt rain for five or six months. Wonderful time when the first rains come. Those rains are a great blessing, and without them, Zambia would become a parched territory. But sometimes the rains are not always a blessing, uh, especially when you have to travel in Zambia over dirt roads, and when the big rains come and uh, you have to travel, it's a messy experience. Uh, my, my third child, uh, James, was was born in the Copper Belt in Zambia. And in order to get him out to the Copper Belt, we had to go on about 400 miles of unpaved roads. And uh, while we were halfway out uh, on the road, a huge rainstorm came and the, the whole road became a quagmire and we slipped off the top of the road. The, the, the camber of the road was steep and we slipped off into the ditch and we were up to our axles in mud. Uh, here, my wife, I've got two little kids in the car, and my wife is pregnant and about to deliver the third child, and I'm sitting there, and I'm helpless. Couldn't do a thing. Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. And this was not a well-traveled road. No, no cars in sight. But within a few minutes, a Land Rover appeared, coming from town. It was two Land Rovers, and they were police vehicles. And they were brand new Land Rovers. And there were about six police officers in those two Land Rovers. They pull up, and in his best English, he said, Sir, what can we do for you? And I said, well... We've got a real problem here. I gotta get my wife out to town to, to deliver her baby and we're stuck. We will help you. And in their dress uniforms, these six police officers got down into the mud and they pulled our car out of the mud. They were covered with mud, but the car was back on the road. And I said, thank you very much. We can't thank you enough. And they said, sir, our pleasure. They got in their car and they, in their cars and they left. And then we thought about it as we were driving on. What just happened? Never seen brand new Land Rovers in the bush. The brand, the, the land, the brand new Land Rovers are, are in Lusaka. The old beat-up Land Rovers are in the bush. I've never seen police officers in dress uniform in the bush. I've never seen uh, such care taken to pull our car uh, out of the quagmire onto the road. And I thought, you know what? They could have been very nice Zambian police officers, but more likely they were angels. So Kathy and I quite believe that we were attended by angels in our trial. If we hadn't been down in the mud, we may not have gotten an angelic visitation. So you have to be down before the Lord lifts you up. And then you appreciate it. You appreciate it. Unexpected blessings. Spiritual showers from heaven. The Lord gives blessings on the way. And then it says in verse 7 and 8 that they go from strength to strength. And the question is, why do they get stronger? 
Well, the trials make them stronger, but there's two things in the text that, that ultimately, ultimately make us very strong as we are on our spiritual journey. The first one is that they, they believe the word of God because there's a promise that's in that verse, 80, 84, verse 7. It says, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. You will go from strength to strength and you will get to your destination. Do you know that God intends for every single child of God to get to their destination? And when God intends it, it's going to happen. Jesus loses none of his children. Every single person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts in him is going to appear before God in Zion. None of them will fall on the way and be lost. None of them will disappear from the screen and be lost from, from sight. God sees us all. He's caring for us all. And he's bringing us along the journey to glory. And his promise is you will get there. There's a wonderful verse in Romans chapter 8 talking about God's plan for you and me. He says, those he chose, those he chose, he sanctified. And those he sanctified, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. In other words, if, if you're one of God's children, you're going to get to heaven. The only question is the kind of shape you're going to be in when you get there. But this verse and many others are telling you this. You trust in Jesus. He's got a place in heaven for you. And that is so encouraging to know that the end of the journey is guaranteed. Not by what I do, but by what the Lord has done for me. I'm going to appear with the Lord in Zion because, as we say in the song, Jesus Christ gave himself for me and bought my redemption through his, through his blood. And that's why I'm going to get to my destination. So the destination is absolutely sure. The day comes when our band of Levite pilgrims get to Jerusalem, and the day will come when Christian pilgrims see the Lord in glory and will be on the streets of heaven forever. Wonderful, wonderful day. The pilgrims believed, and the pilgrims got there. God's promise. There's a second reason why they might be strong, not just because they believe the word, but because they count on the power of prayer. They count on the power of prayer. Do you know what prayer is? <laughs> it's talking to heaven. You're in communication with heaven. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So when we pray, we're talking to that other realm. We're talking to God who is in that other realm. And the Lord is... In, what the Lord is inviting us to see is that we're going from the, 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 the material to the, to the non-material. We're going from the carnal to the spiritual. We're going from this earthly existence into a heavenly realm. Our, our talking to God in prayer pierces the barrier between the physical and the spiritual, and we're immediately in the presence of God in heaven. So prayer is communication with heaven. And this is what he prays. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. I'm counting on you to be almighty because I'm weak. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Jacob was another pilgrim. 
Look upon, uh, uh, sorry, uh, that's it. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Prayer is talking to the Lord in heaven. So if you want strength for the journey, if you want to go from strength to strength, you count on God's promises. You adjust all your life to be in accordance with that goal. And you pray, pray, pray. Life without prayer is weak. We've got to pray. Now, some of us here are on that journey, many of us here are on that journey, but some of us have never started. And you know what? We're all going somewhere. If, uh, if you're sitting here in Oakville and you're saying, Jim, I want, to, I want to get to Toronto, and you're standing out there and you decide that you, you, you go uh, west towards Hamilton, every step that you take west towards Hamilton is putting you at a distance from Toronto. Every step that I take in life that is a step not directed towards heaven is a step away from heaven. You're heading the wrong way. And you know what the Lord wants to do? He wants to turn you around. He wants to direct you towards heaven. Not that Toronto is heaven, it's just an example, right? But he wants to turn you around. If you're heading in the wrong direction, just say, Lord, I'm on, the, I'm on the wrong direction. I'm on the wrong road. Heaven's not my goal and it's not my home. And you're not my savior. Please forgive me and turn me around. And the Lord will hear your prayer and put you on the, the path of pilgrimage. He'll turn you around. And he'll direct you towards heaven. May the Lord bless this, this uh, meditation on our heavenly home. Lord, I do ask that you would bless these words. I pray, Father, that you would uh, give us the grace that we need to continue on our journey, our pilgrim journey home, Lord. We thank you that even though there are times of dryness and times of tears, we're still on the journey because you said there would be valleys of Baca, but you want for us to dig deep. You want to us. You want us to, to lean more heavily upon our God, learn the lessons of of godliness through the trials and we thank you for the promise that we're going to get there we thank you lord that it's assured god's going to have all his children with him safe in glory i pray that you would bless those who are not on the path that they may put their faith in you today and start the pilgrim journey in jesus name amen